Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here with us. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to that passage, that Ephesians passage that uh, Joshua just read for us. We're going to be uh, looking at that passage this morning. As we enter this second week in this new series that we've started called Wrecked, um, the whole premise of this series is to uh, stop and look at four easy ways that we can all wreck our lives. Four easy ways that if they go unchecked and unguarded and unaudited, they will seep into our hearts and into our lives. They, we will be tempted by them and grab hold of them. And we will eventually, if we don't surrender them, we will wreck our lives. This is not a series, as I said last week, this is not a how-to series of how to wreck your lives. We're asking you to actually stop and try to get ahead of these things that may wreck your lives. We think that um, uh, we wrestle with a number of the different issues that we will talk about in the, these four weeks. We, a number of us wrestle with these issues. And some of us, some of us right now today are dealing with the, the issues that we'll be presenting. Some of us right now, in the middle of the lives that we live, in, in the middle of our everyday living and the, the jobs that we work at and the homes that we have, we're wrestling with these issues. And some of us need, need help out of the situation because the, the reality is if we don't get out of it, we're going to wreck our lives. We're going to look back in, in a year or two or, or a decade later and we're going to look back and we're going to say, how did I get to this point? How did I get to this point of, of, of destruction? How did, I, how did I let my life slip away so far? What happened? Why didn't somebody tell me the danger that was ahead? Why didn't somebody speak to me and challenge me and encourage me to get out of this? And so for some of us today, we're, we're, we're actually in the middle of it. And our hope in this four-part series is to, to give you some help out. For those of us that, that aren't facing some of these issues that we're dealing with, I, I believe that even though we're not in the middle of it now, we, w- we will be faced or tempted with some of these issues that we discuss. We, na- we may not be wrestling with it, we may not be in the middle of it, but, but whether it's today or tomorrow or next week or in the next six months, we will all be faced, we will all be tempted with the issues and the, the, the topics that we're talking about. We will all be struck with and tempted to gossip as we looked at last week. We may not be in the middle of it, but we'll be tempted somewhere in the next week or month or months to gossip. We'll be tempted as we look at this week to to live a life that is full of rage and anger and to continue living a life that just boils over. We'll be tempted Maybe not today, and maybe it's not part of what we're going through, but we'll be tempted with lust. In the weeks ahead, in the months ahead, something's going to happen, someone's going to walk by, a note's going to be passed, a phone call's going to be made, and we're going to be tempted. We're going to be tempted to lust. And we're going to be tempted to live with pride. To take a look at our life and to measure out our life and to say, hey, look, look at what I did. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at all that my life is. And look how, look how hard I've worked to get everything that I have. And we'll be tempted to live a life not, 
Not a life of, of being proud of our efforts, but a life of pride where we take ownership and responsibility. So we all face these issues. And if we're not careful, they'll wreck our lives. And we want to get out ahead of it. Now, as we mentioned last week, one of the things we want to say about this, this series, again, laying the premise, is that the ground is level for all of us. Nobody in this room has a point of superiority. We've all experienced these, these issues, these emotions, these temptations. We've all dealt with them. We've all dealt with gossip and, and anger and pride and lust. We've, we've all dealt with that. The, the ground is level. Nobody here can say, I'm better than somebody else in this room. Nobody in here can say that, that I'm so glad we're dealing with this because I've finally overcome it. I am better. I don't deal with this, but all of those people do. Now, some of you may be tempted to say that, but it's just not true. It's just not true that we live in that kind of culture. We live in a culture in a world where we have all experienced these things. Nobody can sit here and justify their actions. If we wanted to, we could try. I could try with today's topic, anger, to justify the anger that I have. I mean, I've got the perfect excuse. De Stefano. I'm Italian. I mean, what more justification do I need for the way I express my anger? We talk with our hands. We get excited. We get into people's faces. Right? We are angry people. Well, we're passionate. That's what we would say. We express ourselves with vigor and life. And sometimes it's misconstrued as anger. But, but we all, I mean, if I wanted to, if I wanted to, I, I could try to justify that. I mean, in our home, our home, my, my wife is from a Scottish descent. So imagine our children now, right? Half Italian, half Scottish. I mean, it's just nuts in our house. It, we are so, we're, we get angry with each other, but then we don't talk to each other about it. We just turn away. As much as we want to try to justify our position, we can't. It's important to understand that we cannot scan this room and point a finger at anybody. We all deal with this. We all deal with every topic we're going to look at. We've all dealt with anger. We've all dealt with trying to understand the outbursts and the, 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 the anger that, that rises up within us. We've all tried to understand and we've all dealt with the rage. If we would be honest, we would all say there have been moments where we have allowed anger to boil up within us to a point where we've just acted out in rage. Now, you know, for some of you, it may just be, one of the, that's your rage, just because your personality. But others, man, we're throwing blankets and pillows and juice glasses and everything. It's a war zone at times because of the rage that boils up within us. We've all dealt with it. And we've all seen what it looks like when other people fly into a rage. We've all seen what it looks like when people spin out of control. We've all been angry. What's interesting is that God gets angry. In the Old Testament, there are a number of passages where it indicates that God himself was angry at times. 
The anger of God, as R.K. Harrison writes, is a deliberate reaction to all that violates His holy nature. His covenant people were commanded to imitate God's holiness. And when they failed to do so, they felt His anger through natural circumstances or at the hand of another country. He goes on to say, all violations of the covenant agreement exposed the Israelites to God's anger. Every time they they violated the covenant, every time they violated God's commands, every time they walked in opposition to Him, every time they walked in disobedience to Him, they violated His commands. God's anger was stirred, which could only be averted by true repentance. In the New Testament, not only do we see God angry in the Old Testament, but, but in the New Testament, we see Jesus, Jesus acting in, in, in anger. Anger was an emotion that he felt. There was a time when, when Jesus was teaching in a setting on a hillside, and, and these children were, were in the crowd and they wanted to come up and sit next to Jesus and to, to hear what he had to say. And, and the disciples in their great wisdom decided this was not a place for children. The children were resisted. The children were pushed back. The children were kept away. And in Mark chapter 10, it says Jesus became indignant. And he said, you let the children come to me. He was indignant that somebody would set up a block, that somebody would set up a barrier to somebody else coming to faith, to hear the truth, to hear the gospel, to find hope, to find help, to find healing. He was indignant that people would, would create barriers for that. And he said, you let the children come to me. He says, in fact, if you don't have faith like these children, you won't understand the kingdom. You won't understand what it is to be part of God's kingdom. You won't see, if you need faith like these children to see the kingdom of God. Anger is a natural emotion. He became angry not only at the disciples in this situation, but, but he became angry at leaders because of their hardened hearts at the misappropriation of, of God's law and at the lack of it's a natural response. It's something that just that just we are created with. Anger is an emotion that stirs up when something happens around us in a circumstance or a situation. Harrison writes that on each occasion in Jesus' anger, on each occasion, it represented his rejection of unrighteousness. People were living apart from Him. People were living in disobedience. People were living in, in unholy and unrighteous ways. And Jesus, those things became so infuriating and, and ang- it stirred anger within Him. He was indignant that people would live this way, apart from God. The, there, there was this expectation that Jesus had of righteousness for His people. There was an expectation that those who called themselves Christ followers, those who took the name Christian, would actually live a life that reflected that. And when he saw that they weren't, he became indignant. So God gets angry and Jesus gets angry and we, we get angry. 
And sometimes we get angry about the things that God gets angry about. Sometimes we have this, this uh, righteous anger at times. Do you ever sense that? Do you ever sense that when you're watching television and you see what's happening in our society, in our world, and, and how the name of Christ or the Christian faith or the things of God are suppressed and the things of evil and the people of unrighteousness and the things that are just wrong in our society rise to the top and this is what's popular and this is what's funny and this is what people are engaged with. Does, is there any, ever any righteous anger that rises up within us? Do we ever just watch what's happening around us and get angry with what's going on? I think there's also, like Christ, there's a, a holy discontent in some of us. I think some of us get angry when we see people who need hope, who need help, people who need healing and are trying to find it in faith, in true faith with Christ, and they're resisted by an organization or, or by a church or by a denomination. They're, they create barriers because of, of maybe how they look or how they dress or the color of their hair. Just be glad they have hair. And, and there we, some of us get so wholly discontented because, because there are bar- people provide barriers to other people who are just trying to get to God. They just want to see Jesus. They, we know, don't we? Remember last week, we've tasted God and we've known that He's good. And yet sometimes we create barriers so that people don't, we create these mountains that they have to climb and hoops that they have to jump through in order to get to God. And, and we who know better, who know the heart of Christ, have this holy discontent that rises up within us. So we have anger with, with some righteous anger. We have holy discontent. You know, the reality is all of us, every day, in our everyday living, have situations or circumstances that arise that make us angry. It's not necessarily righteous or unrighteous. It's not necessarily something of a holy discontent. It's just this situation that's going on in my life, in the workplace or with my children, that, that I got angry. Something happened and the resulting emotion was, was anger. There's this righteous anger of God. There's this holy discontent. And then there's this natural anger that we just have as part of our natural emotion. Paul talks about that in the book of Ephesians. and He actually uses two words for anger. In this section of Ephesians chapter 4, um, and when, ang- when the word anger is used, it's actually two different root words that Paul uses. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, turn there. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 26. He says this. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And then in verse 31, he writes this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Now in verse 26, Paul is speaking of natural anger. The word here is, is that of the natural anger that is, 
that is a, a natural emotion that's within all of us, that no matter, no matter uh, who we are, given different circumstances, given different situations in our life, we will get angry. We will get angry when somebody does something to us. We will get angry when somebody cuts us off on Peach Street. We will get angry when we have to wait more than 20 minutes at the Italian or Olive Garden because the preacher went too long. We get angry at those things. Those natural emotions that rise up within us. A natural response to what's happening here. But watch, notice his admonition to the Ephesians about this natural anger that is a part of us. He says, in your anger, in this emotion, don't be carried away with it. Don't be carried away by the emotion. Don't spin out of control. Don't allow yourself to, in your anger, even though it's, it's normal, don't sin. Don't sin in your anger. Don't use your anger as an opportunity to do something that you would regret. Don't, in your anger, do something that you would later have to come back and apologize for or atone for with someone else. He says, there is natural anger in your life, but with it, be careful, be cautious. Don't sin in your anger. Paul's not denying that that emotion exists. And, and natural anger, natural anger is not a sin. It's part of who we are. It's part of how we were created. It's part of our emotional state. So natural, that natural anger is not wrong. There's simply a caution in how we respond in anger. We have um, we have four children at home, and they are they're great great kids. But if you're a parent, you'll know that there are often times when you have to discipline your children, right? Whether you have children now or you've had children in the in the past, you've had these moments of discipline. And and as I've already said, given our nationalities that are present, our children, a couple of them, tend to be a wee bit spirited, if you will. They are passionate children. They are filled with drive and desire and determination. And sometimes, and parents, you know, sometimes you have to harness that. Part of being a parent is directing your child and helping them and harnessing their passion in the appropriate way. And sometimes they, 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 well, they just don't do well sometimes. And we have to step in. And there's a, a saying in our, uh, that we use with our children, uh, with especially a couple of them. There's this saying that we say that it's not what you said that got you in trouble, but it's how you said it. You're not being disciplined in this moment because of what you said. We want you to share your emotions. We want you to share the truth that's in, that you feel. We want to know what's going on inside of you. So it's not what you said that got you into trouble. It's not what you said that created this, this um, uh, we, we have to take privileges away from you. So it's not what you said, but it's how you said it. How you responded in a situation. How you reacted to this certain person or individual. 
brother or sisters. This is why you're in trouble. And, and I didn't say this in the first service, but I was talking to somebody in the hallway. And, and oftentimes, we will, we will have our children repeat it. I am in trouble. I am in trouble. Not because of what I did. Not because of what I did. But how I reacted. We want them to know that they are being disciplined in the moment because of how they responded. I wonder if this isn't true of us in our Christianity too. If oftentimes God is not displeased with with the anger that we actually have, but He's displeased with how we've responded in our anger. I wonder if God does not discipline us and and remove privileges from our lives or or put us in a time out, if you will, not because we were angry, but because of how we chose to exercise our anger. It's not what we felt, but it's how we acted in that response. To that point, Paul uses a completely different word in verse 31 when he talks about anger. Here he introduces the word, the idea of rage and anger. And it's the word thumos. And it carries that idea of the boiling, heated anger that's within us. You ever think of somebody that just flies off the handle and you say about them, you know, they're just, they just lost control. They were just over the top. They're... Their blood was boiling. You know that phrase where our blood boils with anger? That's this word, thumos. It's just, it's this heated anger that's within us that just rises up and rages with inside of us and oftentimes spills out. See, we don't manage it well. And so this heated, boiling, raging anger that's inside of us spills out and we do something that we regret and we act out in a way that we shouldn't and we, we, we take out our anger or, or some of us have this boiling rage and anger within us and we just hold on to it and we don't do anything about it. It just sits in our heart and in our lives. And there's some very serious physical responses when that happens in our bodies. We were not made or created to have this thumos, this boiling rage of anger. And so when it's evident in our lives, there's a physical response in our bodies. Health journals will say that that it leads to headaches and um, digestion problems, insomnia, increased anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, and skin problems, and heart attack or stroke. They're very physical responses, physical reactions that our body has when we hold on to this, this, this anger and this boiling rage that's within us. How many of us have ever gone to the doctor for a physical and and he looks at us after taking our blood pressure and says, got any stress in your life? Something going on that we should be aware of? Because your blood pressure is like 410 over 900. Pumped it up and we had to use two needles to read it. Just, what's going on? There's some very physical 
issues that come with this boiling rage that sits within us. We weren't created to have that. The danger is that not only do we wreck our lives with that kind of anger that sits within us, but studies will say that it's that kind of anger that leads to violence and abuse. Violence and abuse in relationships and couples. Violence and abuse in the community because this anger sits within them and people have to express it somehow. And when they choose to lash out in an uncontrolled moment of rage and they say something they shouldn't say and do something that they shouldn't do and make a gesture that they shouldn't make, it creates a sense of 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 anger and violence and when they lash out oftentimes they lash out in ways that they can't take back and it affects other people violence and abuse impacts the other person it not only wrecks my life not only do i have to live with the consequences of my violent outburst but it wrecks the lives of the people who receive my violent outburst. It wrecks the lives of the people that love those people that have received the violent outburst. We see that even in the news this week, we've seen a person on trial for a violent outburst. And they're now serving time. It wrecks their life. And it wrecks the lives of other people. There's a very real physical response to this thumos, this anger that boils within us. But there's also a spiritual condition associated with it. Going unchecked and unmanaged, it indicates a lack of control, really. Again, we've often said that person's out of control or they're flying off the handle. Paul continues to speak in the New Testament, as he writes. Paul continues to speak of the Christian life as one that is surrendered under the control of the Holy Spirit. We saw it last week, and we're going to refer to it again in a moment in the book of Galatians. We see it again this week in the book of Ephesians as Paul is talking. He's saying, when you became Christian, when you called upon Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and you changed your life, when you took on that name, you became somebody different. You're not to live the old life. You're to live a new life. Not only have I secured your eternal destiny, but I've changed your life right here and right now. You don't have to be, and in fact, the expectation is that you won't be that other person. You will be a new person with a new mind and a new attitude and a new heart and a new way to deal and to respond with anger. Our lives are not to be reckless. Our lives are to be centered. The fits of rage and the heated anger are symptoms not only of the circumstances that are happening around us, but these fits of rage are also symptoms of a deeper disconnect with God. The fact that I rage out of control 
The fact that I cannot get my emotions under control speaks not only to the circumstance, but it speaks to the deeper issue of am I, am I under control of God through the power of the Holy Spirit or am I still trying to rely on my own way to live my life and manage my everyday living? This rage speaks to a deeper issue. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 17 again. Paul says, so I tell you, I tell you this and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now when he uses this phrase here, he's speaking about those who live according to the values of this world, who are apart from God, who are without a relationship with God, like those who don't know God's ways and God's values or God's standards or, or God's priorities. He said, he's saying, I tell you and insist on it that you must no longer live that way as though you didn't know God. You need to live in a different way. Do not live that way because in their thinking, their thinking is futile. Do not live that way because in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. Look at the words that Paul used. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. They are darkened and veiled. They cannot see the goodness of God. They don't understand the ways of God. When, when we try to share hope and truth, it's hard for them to understand. Those that are apart from God and resistant to Him are veiled and their lives and their heart and their understanding is darkened. They're separated from Him because of their ignorance. They just don't know. They don't know who God is. They don't know. They've not tasted to see that God is good. All they've ever seen is is are Christians who who bite at each other and devour each other or who are angry at each other and they don't they don't understand the goodness. And so in their ignorance they have been darkened and in their ignorance they've been separated and they are ignorant because they've also hardened their heart. Instead of being sensitive to the things of God, their hearts are hard and they turn from Him. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Those who are separated from God, their hearts are hard. As they live in a world of sensuality and they lust for more, their heart gets harder and harder and their separation is greater. It's hard to bridge that gap. Now here's the contrast in verse 20. You, however, you did not come to know Christ this way. Surely you heard of Him and you were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You heard of Him and you were taught in Him according to the truth that is in Jesus. Not the truth that is in religion. Not the truth that is in a church. Not the truth that is in a a group or a faction. You were taught the truth of Jesus. And again, this is a dividing line for culture and religion and Christianity. It's about 
Jesus. You were taught according to Him. And with regard to your former way of life, you're to put it off. Put off the old self. Push it away. Take it like this jacket. Take it off and set it aside. That's going to fall, isn't it? Feels good, though. And it feels good to set your old life aside. When you took the name Christian, when you gave your life to Him, He asks you to set aside the old way of living, to turn and be regenerated and made new again. Be made new, verse 23, in the attitude of your mind. And put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We who are Christian are called to live a life that is, that is associated with righteousness and holiness. Not because I'm better than you, not because I'm holier than you, but because the God that I serve, the Christ that died for me, has called me to righteousness and Holiness, and I live my life that way because of His sacrifice for me. Therefore, verse 25. Here's the challenge in very practical terms. Each of you must put off falsehood. That's the old life. Put it off. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we're all members of one body. In your anger, your, your natural, verse 26, your natural, everyday, normal anger that can happen, don't let the sun go down on your anger and do not sin. Don't sin in your anger. The difference between the old life and the new life is not that you don't have anger, it's that in your anger you don't sin. And Paul introduces this idea of dealing with anger quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. But whatever has caused your anger, go and restore that that scenario. Go and deal with that circumstance. Go and redeem that relationship. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil a foothold. What happens in our lives when anger sits in our heart and it goes unresolved? Doesn't it turn to bitterness? And isn't that bitterness sour? And isn't that bitterness ugly? And doesn't that bitterness just begin to spread in our own spirit? Don't let your natural anger become something that it shouldn't be. Deal with it quickly. Don't sin when you're in anger. Because if you don't, this is where the enemy will reach into your life and grab a hold of you. And this will create... Tension between you and God. He goes on to say that in these practical terms, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. In verse 29, do not let any wholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And then in verse 30, he says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Again, there's this connection of a new life, a new way of living that is deeply connected to the control of God in my life. 
My life is under the direction of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Spirit. Don't take control back. Don't don't resist God's leading in your life. In fact, in verse 31, he says, get rid of all bitterness and now this rage and anger, this thumos. Get rid of that. That's not your life now. Your life is not this boiling rage that's inside of you. Your life is anger appropriately lived out in your life, not sinning, dealing with it quickly, and surrendering yourself to God. The key to how we respond when angry is control. Our lives should be under the control of the Holy Spirit. When we allow His control over our lives, we will be able to manage the natural anger that that we experience. And it won't become this bitterness, this boiling rage within us. The Christian life is one of submission to God. And so the question is very simple. Who will we allow control of our lives? Remember that Galatians passage last week. Galatians chapter 5 is serving as kind of the umbrella theme of this whole series. You can go back and read Galatians 5 and and you understand the context of everything we're delivering. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19, Paul writes this, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. The sinful nature, the old self, the old way, the acts are obvious. And some of those acts are this, fits of rage. And again, it's that word thumos, that boiling, heated anger. But the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that my life is under God's control, the evidence of that is not fits of rage. The evidence of that is love and joy and peace, peace, not rage, kindness, not anger, gentleness and self-control. This is the life we're called to live. This is the way we're supposed to guide our lives. Crucifying the sinful nature and grabbing hold of the Holy Spirit. It's not overly complex, but it is deeply challenging because each and every one of us have to make a decision. We have to make a choice. Will I, in in this area of my life, in all areas of my life, will I, as a Christian, give myself under the control of the Holy Spirit? Will I allow God to guide and direct me? And will I submit, as Joshua prayed this morning, with courage to the guidance of God in my life? Now, some of you are here this morning, and you need a list. I need a list of, give me 18 practical things I can do when I get angry, or else I can't figure this out. I'm going to give you a list. But I want you to know this. Surrendering to the Holy Spirit in your life really is enough. It's, it's mysterious how God works in our lives. It really is. It's really mysterious that in a moment of, of anger that could turn into bitter, bitterness and rage and get my blood boiling, it is, it is mysterious how if we would just surrender to God, God, would you take this from me? I give you control over this situation. It's mysterious how he works in our hearts and in our lives through the Holy Spirit to bring peace and calmness and help us to see things in a level way. I can't explain it. Paul even wrote in the book of, in, in the book of Philippians, the peace of God that, that transcends understanding 
His prayer is that would be upon us. So the, the surrender to the Holy Spirit is enough. But if you're a list person and you need a list of things to do, here's a list. It goes back to Psalm chapter 4. If you have your Bible, turn there quickly and we'll be done in just a moment. Psalm chapter 4. It was the scripture we read in unison together. Here's Anger Management 101. Okay? Anger Management 101. First step. Know that you are set apart to God and that He will listen. That's Psalm 4, 3. Know that you are a child of God. That you are set apart from God. And even though you feel like there might not be anybody else in this world that will listen to you, God will listen to you. God will hear you. God invites you to draw near to Him. God invites you to come close to Him. God invites you to open your heart to Him. And you need to know that when you draw near to Him, He will listen. He will hear you. There is a God who is transcendent, but also who is so connected to us that He will hear us when we call. Secondly, we need to search our heart regarding our situation and the anger. When we find ourselves angry and and getting to that boiling stage, we need to stop and we need to actually search our own heart. Why is it that I react this way? There's a circumstance that triggers a reaction. Why is it triggering that reaction? What is it about my life, my past, my history, my right now? What's going on? What are my expectations? What is it that's triggering this response? And the scriptures ask us really to stop and to search that out. To understand that. Third, be silent and rest. Be silent and rest. It's very hard for some of us to do. We want to we just keep talking about what's going on. Sometimes God just says, you know what? This situation I know has made you angry. Instead of even reacting, you just need to be silent. You just need to rest. Right now. Number four. Live a life that honors God. Here the psalmist talked about making right sacrifices to God. Live a life that honors God. Live according to His character, His priorities, His standards. Live a life of righteousness. Live a life of holiness that God expects. And by living according to His ways, we'll be able to manage the anger and the the rage that, that boils within us. Number five, trust the Lord. Some of us are really good at saying, I'm trusting God, but then never giving up control, right? Oh, I trust God, but God, I'm going to, you need to direct my life this way. We trust God. We trust God completely as long as it's within our parameters, right? So God, I want a new job, but only if it's by the ocean where there's 85 degrees and, you know, um, pizza and wings all the time. Then I'll go work there. God says, complete surrender, complete control. Give it up to Him. Fully surrendered to Him. Number six, don't sin. We looked at that one already. Just the psalmist even wrote about it. Paul pulled from this psalm when he wrote to the Ephesians. He said, in your anger, don't sin. Finally, deal with your anger quickly as we already saw in Ephesians chapter 4. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it quickly. Don't let it sit in your heart and become bitter and rotten. Deal with it appropriately. And be careful how you deal with it. If we're not careful, we're going to wreck our lives. 
If we're not careful, we're going to allow anger and bitterness to sit and to rot within us. And we're going to express things to other people. We're going to express things in our workplace, express things in our home, express things in our church, and express things in our relationships with other people that we never intended, that we can't take back, and we can only hope to redeem. And the Scriptures tell us, don't even get to that point. Deal with it now. Put it off now. Surrender to the Holy Spirit's control in your life. Let's pray. Father, in these moments that we've had together, you've challenged us to look at this idea of anger and and how we can actually deal with it and what you are asking of us. And I pray, God, that, that we would be people who, who have the courage to do what it is you're asking us to do. Surrender is difficult. Giving you control is difficult at times, but a life that is surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit is a life that is transformed. And we don't want to be like the people who don't know you, We don't want to be darkened and blinded and resistant and hard-hearted. We want, God, make our hearts soft towards You. Let us us be open at all times to Your working and Your leading and Your guidance. And God, may we pass that truth on to our children that they would see You moving in their hearts. We don't have to understand the mechanics of how it works. We just know that it does. We've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good. And so God, I pray this week that we would love and serve you in the power of the Holy Spirit and that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ would be with us all. Help us in our anger this week. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.